So um, there was a lot of things that to think about over these past couple weeks, and uh, Brother McAtee and I specifically met with Brother Readout to talk to him about the future because I don't know of a lot of places that are teaching the foundations of life. We see that there's a lot of focus on the phenomena. And what did the scripture say about that? What does it say about signs? Right? These signs shall follow them. And it says a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. So when it comes to signs, we're not supposed to be following after them. They should be following after us. And so we have a lot of uh, things where even things are advertised, healing crusades, or, you know, I have the gift of something. And, and we know that the gifts of the Spirit are not inherent gifts, which means it says in 1 Corinthians, he divideth to every man severally as he will. They're his, he, you can be used in any, any gift at any time. So that's the point. It's not like you have that gift and you always have it and you'll always be used in it. Um, because if that was the case, if you had the gift of healing, then, uh, boy, you could heal everybody. Right? In every situation, but we know that's not the case. So um, that's just, you know. That's just where our movement's going after. Uh, a lot of people are going after the signs. They're going after the phenomena instead of going after Jesus Christ, instead of seeking him. And they have major Holy Ghost crusades. Right? We have major Holy Ghost crusades everywhere. But there's something that comes before the Holy Ghost. And what if people don't have, haven't really had true repentance? Uh, when's the last time you heard of a, a repentance revival? Hey, we're, ha we're holding repentance revivals, you know. <laughs> well, how about Holy Ghost? Well, we have to do the repentance revivals first, and then once everyone gets those, you know, get the, gets that down, then we'll go to the Holy Ghost Crusades. So uh, we just see a lot of focus on, you know, building your house on something that's not the solid rock. I listened to a podcast by In Biblos. Did you listen to the one recently? Um, and this was by um, man. What what was the name of it? I'm going to pull it up right now. This was really very interesting, but the founder of Pennsylvania, but his name is William Penn. He wrote uh, like a tract, and it's, and the, the tract is called um, something, something about a sandy foundation shaken or something. And is that what it was called? Somebody, has anyone listened to that podcast at all? I listened to it. It was really got me fascinated. I went and I looked up the tract because he was really just just blasting the doctrine of the Trinity. 
And he was saying that was the Sandy Foundation. And this was the founder of Pennsylvania. And he talked about the divinity of Jesus Christ. And so um, a Sandy Foundation shaken. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that deals with. So, you know, that's kind of like what we what I'm like, man, that really got my attention because. There's a lot of people that are building their Christian lives on that sandy foundation. They're building their Christian lives on that. And I want to make sure that I build my life on that solid rock. So when the, the storms do come and they're going to come, that, um, that at the end of it all, we're standing strong. So anyways, I'm very excited we talked to Brother Reed out about maybe starting something out here, which would be uh, the format of like an ALI, Apostolic Leadership Institute. The way that it works is we would fly in. We usually would fly in on the Saturday. Uh, first time I, the first several years I went, I, the first year I went, we flew into Hartford. Brother Reed out picked me up from the airport. It's the first time I met him and went and got a motel in Enfield, Connecticut. And went to church at the Apostolic Church of Enfield there. Brother Readout, uh, where he was pastoring at that time. Now his son is pastoring. And then um, after church on Sunday, we all drove up to Assumption College in Worcester, Massachusetts. And then the orientation was the Sunday night. And then Monday started classes. And it was a tough week. It was uh, each, each session was about an hour. And you had, was it 10 or 15 minute break between each class? And so there's five classes. And, but there was a morning devotion and there was an evening service. And there was three meals a day they provided. And, and it was really tiring. It's exhausting. And I have to say that my first year I missed one class. I was so tired. And it was Sister Readout's class. <laughs> she had the hardest uh, time of the day to teach because it was right after lunch. So thankfully, she had a bowl of candy she passed around, Joshua. You know. Yes, so she, she goes, I know this is the heart. So she passed around that candy. That was nice. That was back in the days when I was eating candy. So, and, um, but some of the classes, uh, some of the teachers, I didn't agree with everything they had to teach. And so I told Brother Rita, I said, I want to do something here better than ALI. And he said, how so? I said, well, the class is the material. It has to be the right material. And he said, well, I could see how that could happen. Um, and so that's what we really would like to do ultimately here. And so we're trying to figure out how that's going to happen. And um, so just to let you guys know, and we're trying to come up with a name, but we've got we, we have to get to work and, and, you know, we have to start planning and figuring these things out because I don't know if you guys know. You guys just saw a little bit of this that Brother Readout was here. But um, there is a lot of information. There is a lot of information. And literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours, maybe thousands. It would take you thousands of hours to get through all the material. And imagine starting here and building upon that. Imagine your understanding of repentance changing, your understanding of remission changing, 
the understanding of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, not just speaking in tongues, but also the part that, uh, that has to, you have to go from the promise to the covenant, going beyond just receiving the Holy Ghost to lordship and the principle of lordship. A lot of people miss that. A lot of people don't know about that. A lot of people aren't taught that. And so as you go, and then seven, you know, that, that uh, brotherly kindness, that remaining, that's when you, you, the, the new birth experience, you begin to grow and you have to have relationships with brothers and sisters. And sometimes they irritate you and sometimes it, they rub you the wrong way. And so that's when you're growing and you're learning. So it just doesn't stop there. And that's where you learn about standards because some people get irritated with the way that you dress or don't dress. <laughs> and then it goes, once you begin to have Jesus Christ being, uh, you know, we're being conformed into his image. We're being changed into the image of Jesus Christ. People may start being drawn to that, not to you necessarily, but Jesus in you and the work that he's done in your life. And so um, it's really all about him. So that's what it comes down to. We've been doing the eight steps from death to life. This is kind of an overview. That's lesson eight. It goes to the end. So you guys are just seeing an overview. And but really, we should, you know, if you are brand new, you should be starting at lesson one and building upon that. Lesson eight just kind of sees how everything comes together. But you don't have all the details of each lesson. The will of God, that's a very powerful lesson, right? Does anyone remember anything about the will of God lesson? Brother McAtee, I know, does. Anyone else remember anything? Christy, did you take the will of God at ALI? So I went through four years, and I graduated and then after that, they started adding classes that weren't in the original four years. But I came back as an alumni. As an alumni, you can choose to go to any class you want to. And my commitment to the Lord was to get everything I could from Brother Readout. So whenever Brother Readout was teaching, I was in his classes. And when he wasn't teaching, I tried to fill in around that. And so my, I think it was right after I had graduated, Brother Dibble started teaching a class on the will of God. And he came up to me during ALI, and he said, Brother Thorson, you're the only alumni here not in the will of God. <laughs> All the other alumni decided to take the will of God class, but I said, well, Brother uh, Dibble, I would be in the will of God, but Brother Readout is teaching during that time, and my commitment to the Lord was to be in Brother Readout's class. <laughs> so if you had taught it at a different time, I'd be in the will of God. So anyways, so we're getting back to the eight steps. I'm going to just go through uh, as fast as we could. This is sort of a more detailed review of Philip and the eunuch in Acts chapter 8. We'll start at verse 26. I'm just going to read right through. And the angel of the Lord, we're going to go 26 through 40, spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza. We've been hearing about that in the news, right? The Gaza Strip, which is desert. <clears throat> and he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. 
was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So, the Ethiopian eunuch, how is it that he came to Jerusalem for to worship? He's from Ethiopia. Um, you know, anyone know where Ethiopia is at? It's in Africa. That's right. So when you look at Africa, is Africa attached to Europe at all? There's a little part in the top of Africa. There's a, it's, they, it's like a land bridge, and that's where Israel's at, right? So Israel's in this ideal spot. So if you have the continent of Africa and, and up on the, if, you, if I'm, you know, if looking at it this way, up on the top right, you have this little land bridge. And um, I was watching a number of years ago with my children in homeschooling, we would watch documentaries on Israel. And they, were t they would talk about how Israel was in this spot that was just, it was like this land bridge between Africa and Europe and Asia. And it was just like desired area and territory. But why would the Ethiopian eunuch come up from Ethiopia to Israel? He said for to worship. He came for to worship. We read that in the first verse. But what was it about? And my mother and my dad, a number of years ago, they went to a, a restaurant, Ethiopian restaurant in Sacramento. What was it called? Addis Ababa or something? It was the name of the capital. What a, whatever the capital of Ethiopia is, is it Addis Ababa or something? Jesse, what is it? You did geography. <laughs> he did a geography competition, so I figured he might have known. But they went to this restaurant, and my dad was telling me that they really believe, they believe that when, in the Old Testament, when the Queen of the South came to Solomon, that they had relations somehow, and they had a child. And that child, uh, that lineage was there in Ethiopia to this day, they said. That's what they believed. I remember my dad telling me about that, and I was just really fascinated. And so what would, was there some kind of uh, lineage or ruling monarch that they're saying it's a Solomonic descent? descendant, right, the, that, that are in Ethiopia. I don't really know. 
This is what they were telling my dad at the restaurant. I looked it up in the past. I read up on it a little bit. So whatever the case may be, this Ethiopian eunuch came to Jerusalem for to worship, right? Um, so he was a devout man, possibly a proselyte Jew. He was on his way back to Ethiopia at this time in Gaza, right? Uh, probably 1,500 to 1,600 miles away. So this might have been his only chance to be saved. And so God brought Philip to him. You know, so if somebody's really sincere and they're seeking after God, God has this way of sending messengers. The lost are led by the Spirit. God will move heaven and earth and men to reach any sincere heart. Um, so he was a Gentile, but the door to the Gentiles was still closed at this time in Acts chapter 8. We, we don't have it to where the Jews had preached to the Gentiles yet, even in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. So he was possibly a proselyte Jew. He was sincere. He was an, a eunuch, which means he was an altered male in service to a woman, Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So he was traveling in that desert area far away from anyone preaching the truth. So... What about, you've heard the question, well, I'm, I'm going to skip that part. I'm going to go on. Um, the test of sincerity is what you will do with the truth when God sends it to you. That's a test of sincerity because there's people all over the world that don't have the truth. Does that mean God doesn't love them? God wouldn't send them the truth? Well, what will you do with the truth that God sends you? And we talked about from the other passages of Scripture, Psalm chapter 19 and, and Romans chapter 1, how that there will be no excuse, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare in Psalm chapter 19. So he had come to worship, and there was something that Solomon had prayed in the building of the tabernacle in 1 Kings 8.41 concerning the stranger. He said, moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people, Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake. So during that time, Solomon even prayed for those who would be strangers that would come from a far country. So this eunuch was reading from Isaiah. Why was he reading from Isaiah? We don't really know, but... It says here that um, he was in Isa probably around Isaiah chapter 53, reading about this prophecy concerning Jesus. Now, you remember in the Old Testament, during the, this time, there was not chapters and verses. So he's reading through Isaiah. Perhaps he had heard about a passage in the book of Isaiah that had a promise that was given to eunuchs. We talked about this before. That promise is found in Isaiah 56. Starting at verse 3, it says, Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within 
my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So there was this promise to eunuchs in Isaiah. So maybe he was had heard of that promise, and maybe that's why he was reading. But he was somewhere around Isaiah chapter 53. And as he was reading, there were some things he didn't understand. So... We see in this passage, and we kind of went through them real briefly a few weeks ago. I don't remember how many weeks ago, four or five, a month, month and a half, two. Um, the eight steps, we see revelation in Acts 8, 27. He arose and went, behold, a man of Ethiopian eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, had, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. So obviously he had some sort of revelation. We can see that from that verse. It, he had specifically come to Jerusalem to worship. Also, when Philip began to preach unto him, we see in verse 35 that he preached unto him Jesus. So he began at that same scripture. It, uh, that second step, <coughs> um, it showed that recognition, shows that we are in need we recognize that we are in need of a Savior, right? And he asked the question, we also see in, in verse 27, for he had come to Jerusalem for to worship, we see it in that phrase as well. But he, when he asked the question in verse 36, he said, see, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? That question, what doth hinder me? It maybe lets us see a little bit of his motive. If there's anything that's holding me back, if there's anything that's stopping me, what will hinder me from being baptized? And then we also see in another verse earlier when he first started talking to Philip, Philip and Philip asked him if he understood what he was reading. He said in verse 31, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And we know from Scripture that God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We can see a little bit of this responding in this passage as well. He's basically saying, I need a teacher. I need someone to explain to me, teach me. Otherwise, I'm not going to understand. How am I going to understand this unless somebody comes and explains it to me? Can we see that, that third thing, which is responding? We see that throughout the scriptures. That's the will of God. Lord, what would you have me to do? And so that's that attitude. Philip <clears throat> had run and said to him, understandest thou what thou readest? And that's, how, that's when he responded, how can I? So his answer, what, uh, when he asked the question, what doth hinder me later on, that shows the willingness of whatever was necessary. And so that's part of that will of God too. And then that brings us to repentance. Peter, or, or Peter Philip said when he had asked, see here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? He said, and I've done this before too. This is one of the passages I use when people ask me when I explain to them about baptism. It's not just, we're just going to baptize everybody. 
No, there's, we go, I go through the five questions to see if they're ready. Because Philip asked him, if thou believest with all thine heart, that gives us a clue about repentance. When we understand what repentance really is, does repentance save us? Right? I mean, can we be saved without it? We need it, but right, it's a part of it. But the Bible tells it's uh, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. But it is part of what we must do, and it deals with our heart. And that's where God can come in and change our heart. And he says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water. And that's why Michael made me go into the water. Both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. <laughs> right? This is the passage, I think. that This was his justification. Well, Philip went down in the, into the water with the eunuch, so I'm not going in there by myself. <laughs> so he, they went down into the water because uh, Philip answered that he did believe. And so in Acts 8.38, Philip baptized him, and it doesn't say how, does it? It doesn't say um, a lot about it other than they were both in the water. So it wasn't just a little sprinkling. Um, so the things that are specified is there was a preacher, faith and works, right? Believing is what? What's the definition of believing? It's faith plus works. And we get that from James, the book of James. Uh, so be the, defi the biblical definition of believing, it's not just, well, I believe, so I'm okay. Because the Bible says all you can do is believe. Well, you got to believe like the Scripture says to believe. So if you're going to use that Scripture, then you must understand what it means to believe in Scripture. So believing is faith plus works, and we know what faith is. So they went down into the water, and they come up out of the water. So are all eight steps shown in this passage? Maybe not specifically. But it does give us a clue to what is the most important message. So where are our priorities? Do we see him speaking in tongues? We see him in the Holy Ghost. We don't see that. And we see like there's a big emphasis in our movement on some things that maybe are, are essential, but not the most important things. So we see uh, some very important things in this passage. And we can believe that he was filled with the Spirit. But it doesn't give the details of the, how he was baptized in Jesus' name. It doesn't say that he was filled with the Spirit, speaking other tongues. But it does talk about his revelation. It does talk about. So uh, the Spirit of the Lord was mighty there and caught away Philip. And it says something about him, that he saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So that may indicate that he was filled with the Spirit, because a lot of times after people are filled with the Holy Ghost, have you seen them? You see how they are when they've just been filled with the Holy Ghost? They're excited. They're just like on cloud nine. This is like an awesome gift. So that may indicate that he was filled with the Spirit, because the Spirit was mighty there at that time. 
Joy, the inner awareness of God's working in your life to save you. That rejoicing, the outer actions caused by the joy within. And then reproducing, that last one. If he remained long enough, reproducing is the unavoidable result. Um, Brother Readout tells of a story that um, Brother Urshan met an Ethiopian dignitary at Washington, D.C. He asked of our doctrine. When told of baptism, he responded, Of course, that is how our forefathers were taught by the first Ethiopian Christian. And this is the first Ethiopian Christian. So maybe the last steps are not detailed because this is not a detailed example of being saved. But we have other examples in Scripture like Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. And sometimes when you say, people say, Are you, have you been saved? You say, I've been saved. Maybe you don't specify everything you went through to be saved. And so that's, that's the point here. Um, all right. So I didn't go through all these scriptures and I didn't read through everything because I didn't think I had enough time. Um, but I thought that was something that was really very interesting thinking about the Ethiopian eunuch and what they went through and the, the revivals in Ethiopia and the Orthodox and the Coptic church and all the, the leaves. And there's, there's movements out there that have been baptizing in Jesus' name for many years. And um, so there's a tradition. Uh, I don't know if anyone had heard this tradition, that the Ark of the Covenant was there in Ethiopia. Anyone heard that one? Yeah, <laughs> that's part of what they said. Yeah, it's one of the things that um, since my children were homeschooled and I figured, you know what, they need to have science. I would get Christian uh, archaeological archaeological uh, videos and DVDs and I got one on the Ark of the Covenant and they went over there to Ethiopia to where supposedly the Ark of the Covenant is housed and it's protected and no one could get in there and see it. And um, so they interviewed some of the people. And there's one person that's in there, that one of the priests that gets to go in there and he's the only one and he stays in there. And so this guy was able to interview the previous priest. So they really, they say it's there. I don't really know if it's true, but I don't really know. They have traditions and, you know, they go and interview these people. But yeah, So there is a tradition, and maybe this Ethiopian eunuch is the one who brought Christianity to Ethiopia. And I don't know if Solomon had relations with the Queen of the South, and I don't know if there's descendants of Solomon there in Ethiopia, which, you know, had these people that say, hey, you know, let's go to Israel, to Jerusalem to worship because that's where the true God is. That's where the mighty God. I don't know why he even came to Jerusalem in the first place. Uh, but there's traditions. There's Ethiopians that say that, yeah, the lineage of royalty and kings come, came down through Solomon. Solomon has descendants there. They say. You know, I, I don't know. I don't have the evidence. But um, I first heard of it when my dad and mom went to that restaurant and that they were talking to that guy from Ethiopia. Anyone ever heard that before? 
We watch documentaries about it. So somehow in some way that Ethiopian eunuch must have known about this God and he came to Jerusalem to worship in whatever the case may be. I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't tell us, but uh, it's interesting. So that's it. I don't want to just reiterate and go over all the other stuff we've gone over before. But uh, the next part of the lesson gets into, uh, remember, we're going through the book of Acts. And it's great because the Bible quizzers are memorizing out of Acts this year. Okay, Bubs, can you quote some verses for us? (laughs) What's that? Put them on the spot. Caleb, you know a couple? One or two? When I was a Bible quizzer and memorized verses, I realized that um, just talking to people, our doctrine is in the Scripture. And when people would say, well, you know, this and that, and I said, well, the Bible says this, and no one would ever argue when I just quote a Scripture. Well, the Bible says this, and... And one time I was standing at senior camp. I was standing in line with all my new Bible quizzing buddies I had just met. And somebody asked a doctrinal question. And I looked at my Bible quizzing buddy from Burbank, and he was an excellent Bible quizzer. And his name was Hector. And I said, Hector, we know the answer. It's in our Bible quizzing material this year. He goes, we do? I go, yeah. You know, so it's not just quizzing. That's just, you know, it's not just the game. It's the application. And so I said, here's the answer. And so I quoted the verse, and I saw the lights turn on. I saw his eyes just go, (laughs) you know, because we learn these scriptures, and we know, uh, and we, you know, having Brother Reed out here, we learn the importance of how to study and how to get definitions from scripture. We don't just go to Webster's Dictionary. We let the Bible, the author of scripture, define what the words and the terms mean. And we look there to find the definitions. So that's a great way to study. But anyways, um, exciting. How about, uh, how far are you, uh, Caleb, at chapter? Chapter 5. All right. What's a good thing that we could have uh, him quote? Acts 2. That's a very popular one. We could probably go from 36 to the end, 36 through 47. That's the first essential, to know assuredly. You have to know it assuredly. And that's where Peter ended his message, right? And that's where he stopped. And then verse 37 So when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they came into recognition. They realized that they were part of that crucifixion, right? And then? Then they they began to inquire, and then they began to say, what should we do? That's when we begin to seek the will of God for our lives, right? So right there, we see revelation, we see recognition, and we see responding. And then? Then he said unto them, repent. And then? 
So then we're to be baptized and then receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, right? So we have repentance, we have remission, we have receiving, amen? See, that, there's that continuing. That's that remaining. So after that new birth experience, that new birth threshold, we have to continue in the apostles' doctrine. What else does it say? Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Fellowship. Fellowship's important. Breaking the bread. And in prayers. That's, that's that remaining right there. Keep going. They were together and had all things common. Not saying that, you know, not saying that uh, we're supposed to get into communism or anything. Go ahead. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And there's that reproduction. So you can see that process right there in the book of Acts. Acts 2, you see it in Acts 10. So that's what we're kind of doing, just going through the examples in the book of Acts so you can see the process. God never deviates from that process. So anyways, and so that's our message. If we can get people to see that first thing and then they respond, then we can go on. But they got to see who Jesus is. They got to have a revelation. They got to have an understanding of who he is. Amen. Yes. Oh, in Acts chapter 8? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's right. There's that part of it. Because, yeah, he was, was involved in reproduction, and the cycle starts all over, right? So he's, he's step eight, brand new, bringing that, that new babe in Christ through, the, through the cycle of life, from death to life. So, amen. <laughs> 